We're in a series looking at uh, Jesus' seven I am statements in the book of John. And these are, these are statements that Jesus makes about himself. And I know as we look in the world, a lot of people have maybe opinions about who Jesus is or why he came. And in fact, a lot, the world has a lot of opinions about Christians, uh, some good, some not so good. And Jesus makes these statements about himself, not, not only to declare who he was and who he is and why he came, but, but how are we to respond to his calling? And how are we to live that out in our lives? And the reason why Jesus came, he came to change everything for you and I. And he came to bridge a gap between our lostness because of our sin and our waywardness with God the Father who created everything, who created us, to give us a new sense of purpose and why we're here and why we're living on this earth. And I love this, this I am statement that I am the vine. I, it's, it's, it's rich because there's so many things within that statement that Jesus says about himself, but not only about himself, but how when we attach ourselves to the vine who is Jesus Christ, that there should be some things coming forth out of our life that is evidence that God has done a great work in your life. And what I love about being a follower of Jesus Christ, this isn't about me or trying to pick myself up or trying to change myself. This is about Christ living in us and within us, he changes us. He changes our attitude. He changes our outlook on life. He changes our purpose. He changes our hopelessness into something of hope. He causes us to wake up on a Monday morning with a new sense of hope and purpose that it's just not this mundane, same thing over and over. How many ever felt that way? You just wake up and you're like, man, I gotta do this all over again. You know, you just get in that rut in life. But Jesus being the vine and him living in us give us a new sense of hope and purpose and joy that, that God wants us to, to fulfill this in our lives and to live with a sense of purpose and joy and happiness and peace. And this is available to everyone who attaches themselves to the vine. Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad you woke up early this morning and came to church? I am. So we're going to jump right into Jesus' I am statement. If you got your Bibles, you can look up at the screen. We're going to be looking at John 15. And uh, let me just give you a little background here because this is interesting because Jesus speaks these words to his disciples right before he's getting ready to go to the cross. And so these are really important words that Jesus wanted his followers to understand. And so this is what he says about himself. So if you've got a red letter Bible, there's a whole lot of red letters between John 14, John 15, John 16. So this is Jesus speaking to us, speaking to his disciples. And this is what he says to those disciples that were listening. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You already, you already are clean because the word I've spoken to, you, to, to spoken to you remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit in itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless it remains in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If, you, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown to the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my 
disciples. Boy, those are some key words right there in verse 8. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Man, I want that joy. I want that joy every single day in my life. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he that lays life down for a friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. If I, it, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I have chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Lord, just help us to, to understand your word here today, to open up our hearts and our lives, to understand how important these words are for our lives to be transformed and changed and to be more like you Help us to hear these words today. Give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said? There was a, a, a kind of an a assignment we had my senior year in English class. And the teacher asked this question. And we were supposed to finish um, this, this sentence. And he gave us this question. He said, uh, finish this sentence. I am blank. I am blank. And he says, if someone were to ask you that question, I am blank, he says, what would you say? And, and so in the English class, my senior, we had to write down on a piece of paper and then, and then the teacher was going to read it aloud to the class and we were to try to guess who that person was. All right, so this got really goofy, okay? I mean, just think about it. I mean, there, there were some crazy answers. There were some pretty sad answers. There were some pretty funny ones about it. And we were trying to, tried to guess um, who that person was. And I can remember um, when the teacher asked that question, it kind of stopped me in my tracks because I became a follower of Jesus at the end of my freshman year. So this is my senior year. And this kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit because I said, how am I going to answer this question? So I became very philosophical at this point. I said, boy, how am I going to answer this? Who, who am I? And, and I believe for most of the seniors in my class, they didn't really know or they didn't really put too much thought into it and they thought it was kind of, kind of silly. But it's interesting uh, that we equate who we are with what we do. We equate who we are with what we do. And, and let me just say this. We need to be able to answer that question. And for Jesus, he was able to answer that question. He knew exactly why he came. Jesus did not have an identity crisis. He knew exactly who he was. And I think for many of us, the reason why we struggle, listen to me, listen to me. The reason why we struggle through this world is we don't know who we are. Now, we attach ourselves with a lot of things. We want to attach ourselves with winners. We, we attach ourselves with the sports teams that we like, don't we? We, we attach, like, man, I, I'm a New England Patriots follower. Not me, not... Okay, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm using that as an example. Okay, I still like the Bills, even though they stink and they haven't been in a, let's just pray right now. Lord, 
help the Bills, right? But if I'm like a New England Patriots, I'm, I'm on top of the world, right? They're, they're just a great, great football team, okay? I said it, all right? And they're in our division, which is horrible, right? And we attach ourselves because we identify with it. I remember when I was in college, um, I'm a Mets fan, and um, I admit it, I'm a Mets fan. I think they're going to have a good year this year. And I'm a Mets fan. And, and in college, I was in college in 1986 when the Miracle Mets beat Boston. If you, if you are old like me, you remember that. And I remember there was these, all these Boston fans at the school I went to. And I had a friend of mine who would not talk to me for a week. Now, I didn't rub it in. I would just carry my, my sign around saying the Mets, the Miracle Mets, they're the best. God was on their side. No, I didn't say any of that stuff. But, you know, it's like we identify with teams and we get down or we get mad at that other person because we identify with this team. And I feel good when they win or I feel down when they lose, right? And so it's this identity thing. It's this identity crisis. We don't know who we are. So we equate who we are with what we do. So, so we will say things like, um, in order for me to get fulfillment and value in my life, I'll say things like, um, I'm a good student, or I'm smart, or I'm a good athlete, or I'm a good wife, or I'm a good husband, or I'm a, I'm a hard worker. I, I love... <laughs> I love when people say this. I, I, I just get a charge out of this. When people try to work hard and say, oh, yeah, man, I worked 90 week hours this week. You know, I'm working all those hours, working all those overtime hours. I said, you know what I did Saturday? Nothing. I just sat around and did absolutely. I would love someone just say that to me. You know what? I just relaxed this weekend. I didn't do anything. I just sat there and looked at the ceiling for eight hours, right? We, we, we take so much pride in what we do, and that's okay. We should be hard workers, but, but we try to identify with that, and we, we, we project that to other people so they can see, oh, you're so valuable. You work so hard, and you're so busy. Everybody's busy, right? I'm so busy, right? Are we using that as, as an indicator of our identity? And boy, we can get lost in that. And I believe that's why America has an identity crisis. We don't know who we are because we're, identif- we're identifying with things that we do. I'm a hard worker. I'm a good wife. I'm a good husband. I'm the greatest Muhammad Ali, right? Or, or it may be negative things. We identify with negative things in our life. Like, I'm just stupid. I'm not, I'm not good at school. I can't, I can't get the grades. Or, or I, don't, I don't match up with other people. I'm, I'm just ugly. When I, when I look at other people or I look at you know, celebrities and stuff. I just feel ugly or I feel fat or I feel worthless, right? Or we identify with all these negative things because we don't feel like we match up with other people in the world. And I've noticed something watching um, my kids play sports over the years, especially as a parent with your kids in sports. And, and let me just say this, winning is, is wonderful. And, and, but yet I believe we've lost the virtue of winning well, or we've lost the virtue of losing well. I actually watched, um, you know, March Madness. I love watching college basketball. And I was watching the game. I, I, you know, my sister lives in South Carolina. I have a twin sister who lives in South Carolina. Her husband's from Columbia. So we also are Gamecock fans, South Carolina Gamecock fans, behind Syracuse. Just want to make that clear. So we're rooting for the Gamecocks. They're in the lead eight today. So root for them today, okay? Syracuse is gone. They're out. They're sitting home. They're watching the game with us, okay? So root for South Carolina. And I watched the game after the Baylor game. And what they did after the game is they all got in a circle and they prayed after the game. I thought, what a great witness of what it's all about. And the announcers announcers almost didn't know what to say. They're like, well, this is different because usually guys are throwing punches at each other. They're mad at each other, right? Coaches are mad at each other. And they actually got together 
and showed the world what was really important, what, what they really identified with. And I thought that was a great witness, a great moment. And I think we've missed something because we've put so much pressure on our kids to succeed that they've lost the enjoyment of actually playing sports. And what we end up doing is vicariously living through our kids. And the virtue in our culture isn't how you win. The virtue is winning and being the best. And that's why some athletes will dope to try to get ahead. Why? Because we look at success in winning. If I win, then I'm seen as a winner or I'm seen as valuable no matter how I get there. And I try to stress this um, with my kids, you know, Wesley, he was a senior. He plays three sports. My, uh, Wesley, my senior, and he, likes, he plays football, he plays uh, basketball, and he plays baseball in the spring. And one of the things I, I try to stress with Wesley is, Wesley, listen, I don't care how many points you score, if you get a home run or not get a home run. I, that's not really a thing. Play the game well and let your character shine through. When you help another guy off the court, um, when you help him up, when you shake hands, when you, do, when you don't blow your temper, all those things. I said, those are the things that I look at as a dad. Those are the things that are most important to you. Keep your character. That's the most important thing because you know what's going to happen? People are going to walk away. And they may forget how many points you scored or how many rebounds you had. But they're going to look at how you play the game. And they're going to look at the attitude that you had. And that's the most important thing that I want for you is let your character, your witness for Christ come forth in all you do. I read this quote by John Wooden, and, and, it, and it reiterates this. John Wooden was an outstanding uh, coach for the men's UCLA basketball team. They won 10 NCAA national championships in 12 years. I would say that's pretty good. Um, uh, they had an incredible record of 88 straight games that they won. But Coach Wooden said this, and I have this quote, and I have it in your notes. He said this, be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. Boy, that's a great quote. And so I want to go back to my English class. So you're probably wondering, Pastor, what did you write? when you wrote your English class. Well, here's what I wrote. I got thinking about this, and I said, okay, I'm going to write this. So I put, I am a Christian. So they went around. Of course, my teacher knew that I was, so he goes, geez, I wonder who that is. And then he looks right over at me where I was sitting, right? And he teased me a little bit. And I remember I took, I took a little bit to write that down because I, wanted, I was going to put something safe, but I said, you know what? I'm going to put that because that's who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. And I remember thinking, writing that down in the class, that I'm going to have to live this out. Because if I actually broadcast this to the whole class, that I'm a Christian, that I'm a follower of Jesus, um, I'm going to actually have to be willing to live that out. And it's not just saying that, but it's actually living it. You see... Just because we go to church doesn't make us a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, right? We get that, right? And so we have to get out of this mentality. Just because I do something or I say something, that doesn't actually mean I'm that. And so what Jesus tells us, he says, listen, if you're going to be my followers, if you're going to want that joy in your life, then there must be fruit that's coming out from your life. 
there must be something that's being produced out of your life that actually shows that you believe what you say. And I remember thinking as, as a student saying, once I say this, I have to really live this now. And it was a big deal for me at that moment. So what does this mean? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And so Jesus expresses these I am statements to show this is who I am. And Jesus' I am statements are a declaration of his divinity. By Jesus saying, I'm the vine, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, I'm the bread of life. What Jesus was actually saying through these I am statements is he was saying, I am God. I am divine. He was clearly stating that he was one with the eternal God incarnate. Jesus was using the same statement God declared to Moses when Moses asked God, who should I tell them sent me? When God raises up Moses to to take Israel um, out of Egyptian bondage for over 400 years. And this is what God says to Moses. Exodus 3.1, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. And so when Jesus says these I am statements, all the religious people at the time, their ears perk up because they're saying, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What you're saying, Jesus, is you're saying that you're equal with God the Father. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. This is who I am. When you attach to me, you're attaching to God himself. And so Jesus makes these seven I am statements in the book of John. And then Jesus says in John 15 that I am this vine, you are the branches. And what's interesting is that he makes this statement right before he's going to the cross. He shares this statement with his closest friends in an intimate setting. And Jesus shares this with his disciples. At this point, Judas has betrayed him. He's left him. And so Jesus is sharing uh, these last words with his 11 disciples and what it means to have a relationship with him, others, and the world. And everything about John 15 is about our identity and our worth. And so Jesus is telling his disciples today, I want all of you to understand this. Your identity doesn't come from what you do or how you look. Your identity comes from me. Attach yourself to me and you will not spin your wheels trying to worry about how the world feels about you. Right? And we spend so much time buying things we really don't need with money we really don't have to impress people we really don't even like. That, that, that's really how the world works, right? We want to impress people by what we have or what we wear or how we look or, 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 or our jobs. And, and we use all these things to identify. But, but meanwhile, people are empty inside because these things don't bring f- ultimate fulfillment to our life. They may bring it for a time, but, but then we need to go to something else to try to fill that emptiness and that void within our lives. And so Jesus says, listen, I'm the vine, you are the branches. All life flows through me. And so Jesus tells his disciples that that he's the vine, we're the branches. Everything flows from the vine. The branches cannot survive without the vine. The life of the branches is completely dependent on the vine. And so what is the characteristic of a follower of Christ? And how do you find joy and peace in your life that you've been looking for. It's all in what you truly identify with. And Jesus says, all this time, this is what you've been looking for, and you've fallen short, fallen empty. Those things are not fulfilling you. They're not satisfying you. Who are you? Who are you? I remember talking to my dad. He retired early from Kodak. He got the early buyout when he was like, in his late 40s. Hallelujah, right? 
what would that be like, right? And um, he, my dad did some things right in his life. He, you know, he had kids when they were young, were all out of school. They lived in the same house. That, you know, they were pretty set up. They were set up well with that, made some smart, smart moves. And I can remember just talking to my dad about this, saying, Dad, it's kind of weird. Here you worked at Kodak for 25, 30 years, and now you're, you're still young. What are you going to do? Your whole life is really, since you were, I think, 19 or 20, was all about Kodak, and now you're, you're you know, it's over. What are you going to do? He says... I don't miss it one bit. He goes, because, you know, all you guys know, some of you retired guys are like, hey, man. Um, he goes, because that's not who I am. They were good to me. We were able to make a living. But he goes, I, I can do other things. That's not my identity. See, for my dad, his identity was in Christ. His job didn't define him. What defined him was his relationship in Jesus Christ. And that's where we got to find it. That's where Jesus says, this is where I want you to find my worth. So, Everything about John 15 is about true identity and our true worth. So what are the characteristics of a true follower of Jesus Christ? This is what Jesus says. They will produce fruit. This is what a follower of Jesus Christ, they will produce fruit. The only way to have life is through Christ the vine. And Jesus explains that his father is the gardener. So here's what the gardener does. Jesus says, all life flows through me. My father is the gardener. And the gardener does two things. First, in order to produce the most fruit, what the gardener does is he will remove those branches that aren't producing any fruit. Those that aren't producing, those are are not effective, they're going to be removed. And the second thing he does as a good gardener, God the Father, he prunes the ones that are producing fruit. In fact, the word prune there in the Greek, in the original Greek language, katharao, is, is an interesting word because it literally means to clean. And, and pruning, um, though it hurts, it's necessary. God will prune us with the intention of, of us bearing more fruit. He's cleansing us from that which could hurt us. In fact, the Hebrew writer explains this well in Hebrews chapter 12. Because all of us, Jesus says, listen, if you're going to produce more fruit, God's going to allow, allow us to go through trials and maybe some tribulations and some difficult things in our life. Because, because the end result is... He wants you to produce real fruit in your life. And how many know that sometimes life beats us up? But he says, even when life beats us up, God says, I'm going to use that to prune you so that more fruit is produced in your life. Hebrews 12, 7 says this through 11. The Hebrew writer says, endure, endure hardship as discipline. Isn't that interesting? Hardship. Don't, don't, don't negate hardship. When you go through something difficult in your life, just don't, just don't poo-poo it and just say, man, I don't want to go through this. In fact, if you view it as discipline, that God is doing something greater in your life. Now you see that trial is, has a purpose and a meaning that God, the end result is something good for me. Amen? Okay, so he says, endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as what? Children. So just because you're going through a difficult thing in your life, it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because he does love you. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our what? For our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. 
Amen? It doesn't seem, but painful. But later on, but later on, however, it produces what? Here's where the fruit comes in. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it, which means you've allowed it. When you're trained by something, it means you allowed yourself to allow that thing to come into your life. You've accepted it and you said, God, use this, train me through this because I know what's going to be produced from this is something good. No athlete just says, I'm never going to train. That would be ridiculous. You would get nowhere. And so what an athlete does is he trains, he trains, she trains, she trains, you train, train for this event or whatever, and you discipline your body. You've got you've to do whatever you got to discipline your body to become what you need to become in that sport. See, the test and trials of life, God will use it to cause us to grow. And the end result is that it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who use it to train them. And what it produces is fruit. So what is the fruit of a follower of Christ? So, so pastor, make this practical for me. What, what does it look like? If, if, I, if I attach myself to Christ, if I'm saying just more than I'm just a Christian who just comes to church, but if I really say, hey, I want to attach myself to the vine, I'm allowing the trials in life to discipline me, then what's that going to look like? Because what's going on in the inside will be seen on what's going on in the outside. So this is what Jesus is saying. If there's no fruit that's coming on the outside, something's wrong in the inside. You're attaching yourself to the wrong things. Are the things that we are attaching our life to, do they have eternal significance and eternal value? At the end of the day, we need to ask ourselves, does this thing really matter? At the end of the day, me worrying about this, striving for this, going for this. You know, I've yet to see, I've pastored many years, I'm going on uh, uh, 27 years of, actually next month, 27 years, full-time ministry. I've never seen anyone in the last days of their life say, Pastor, can you run to my house, wherever they are, maybe they're lying in a hospital bed or in hospice, can you just get me my bowling trophy? I just want to hug it one last time, right? I've never heard that. I've never heard that. Who do they want around? They want family around. They want relationships. Things that are truly important and valuable. Those are the things. They they didn't say, can you give me my golf scorecard when I shot, you know, under 80? Can you get that card for me? Because I want to look at that one more time. You know what? Those things, guess what? Don't matter. They don't matter because you've got a new perspective in your life. How many things do we put so much value and so much stock in that at the end of the day, the end of our life, just doesn't matter? So if we're attached to the vine, we should bear the results of a life that is in Christ. And so here it is. This is what the Apostle Paul says. And I've got, your notes are jam-packed. I gave you notes. If you're like, Pastor, I passed by the bulletin. I didn't get the notes. You can go back in the back after the service and get the notes. Because these notes I want you to hold on to. Because what we're going to do is we're going to go line by line. We're going to go word by word on what fruit needs to be produced in our life. And this is a study help for you that you can go back to this and study it for yourself to help you with your walk with the Lord to make sure that you're identifying with the Lord, that this fruit's being produced in your life so you can find joy and true peace in your life. So here's what Paul says. Here's the fruit. So, so Jesus says you'd bear fruit. What does the fruit look like of a person that's attached to the vine, Jesus Christ? Well, Galatians 5, and 23 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love's the most important thing. That's why it started with that. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Isn't that wonderful? Those that are attached to the vine hear the things that are going to be produced in our life. And so um, if, if you are a sickly branch or are you a healthy branch bearing fruit? It was interesting. I read a story about a marathon runner who was a seasoned trained marathon runner. He had a very impressive time. He ended up crossing the finish line, fell down and died of a heart attack. And what they didn't realize is they didn't realize that he had um, a heart imperfection, a heart defect that, that basically caused his heart to, to, to go into this cardiac condition, and he died. On the outside, he looked great, but there was a heart problem inside. There was a defect. And so what Jesus is saying is if we're a sickly branch and we're not producing the right kind of fruit out of our life, there's something wrong within our heart. There's something wrong that we're not attached to because when we come to Christ, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And here's the result. This doesn't mean we're perfect. This isn't a checklist. To them, oh, I'm good at love, but I'm terrible at self-control. So now I got to work on that, right? This isn't a checklist. What this is, is this is someone that's attached to the vine. And these are things that are going to be produced in your life that are beyond you. These are supernatural things that, that the Spirit of God gives us to glorify His Son, Jesus Christ. Not to glorify myself and to lift up myself and look how great I am, look how much I love, look how patient I am. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Look at me, God. Look how good I am. No, no. That's not what this list is. This is a list to say, hey, God has given you these things so you can turn it right back around and glorify God, saying, God, without you, I can do nothing. Amen? Okay, so we get this. So let, let's look at this and let's break this down. And in your notes, I've broken down this. I want to... Um, I got a, found a great article from Family Life that just broke this down for us, and, and I'm, hopefully this will help you. I want to make this practical. I want you to ask yourself questions. And so let's look at this. So let's break all these down. First of all, Paul starts with love. And, and this word love doesn't refer to this warm, fuzzy feelings, but it's a deliberate attitude of goodwill and devotion to others. And here's what I have in your notes. Love gives freely without looking at whether the other person deserves it. So if I'm only loving someone because what I can get from them, or if I'm loving someone because they're lovable, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. The true Spirit of God says, I'm going to love someone irregardless of what I get back from them. That's when the Spirit of God is truly working in your life. When you take the high road, not, you're not giving love because you're receiving love. You're just giving love even when people don't deserve it. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus came to this world while we were still sinners, when we were enemies with God. He didn't wait for us to get it all together until we loved him and said, we're sorry. No, he just came and he died and he demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That's the love of God. When the love of God is in your heart and all of a sudden you're forgiving people who are unforgivable, hello, wake up, right? You're like, wait a minute, that's not me. That's not the old barden. The old barden would keep a checklist. The old barden says, I don't get mad. I get even, right? But the, the new creation in Christ says, you know what? That's not Christ in me any longer. So the question is this. Am I motivated to do for others as Christ has done for me? Or am I giving in order to receive something in return? Okay, just a checklist here. Number two. 
This joy, I love this, because when we're following God and we're in the vine, God's going to give us this joy. And here's this joy. Here's this supernatural joy that God gives us through his Holy Spirit. Joy is not dependent on my circumstances. See, when we look at the world, our joy and happiness is always dependent on what, is, what good is going on around in my life. So I'm joyful when good things are happening. When good things are happening, when, when things are positive in life, then I'm joyful. But not the joy that the Spirit gives us, because the joy that the Spirit gives us, we're still joyful when things aren't going our way. Amen? Okay, so unlike happiness, joy is gladness that is completely independent of the good or bad things that happen in the course of my day. In fact, joy denotes this supernatural gladness given by God's Spirit that actually seems to show up best during hard times. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I don't know why um, I'm having this joy because I shouldn't be. All my friends are telling me, man, you should be down. You should be depressed. And you're like, but I don't know. I know God is good. I know God is for me. I know he's not going to leave me or forsake me. And I have this joy even in the midst of this hard time. I, deep down, not that I'm not feeling bad or feeling uh, feeling lonely at times, but there's this joy knowing that God is there and he's giving me this joy to help me through this, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And, and I know God is for me. So this is a product of fixing your focus on God's purpose for the events of your life rather than on the circumstances. So ask yourself this question. Am I experiencing and joy in my life on a regular basis, or is my happiness dependent on things going smoothly in my day? So if you're easily irritated, easily upset, um, it's a heart check. God, am I attaching myself to Christ and his vine, or am I attaching myself to the world in this circumstance? Because the circumstances shouldn't be controlling me. What's controlling me is am I attached to the vine, Jesus Christ? Here's the third thing, peace. Peace. Paul talks about. He says it's not the absence of turmoil, but, but the presence of tranquility, even while in a place of, of chaos. It's, it's a sense of wholeness and completeness that is content knowing that God controls the events of the day. There's a peace that goes way beyond my understanding that says, God, listen, I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know what my struggle is going to be today. But I know that I'm right before you, that, that um, I've, I've come to know Christ as my Savior. And so there's peace between me and God. And no one can take that peace away. No, no trial, no circumstance. It doesn't matter what happens in my day. Um, I can't take that peace away. And listen to this. Listen. We, we allow people and things to rob us of our peace. It happens to me all the time. Somebody ticks you off. Somebody cuts you off on the road. Um, a coworker irritates you. Family member bothers you. And what they do is they rob you of the peace that God wants to give you in your life. And what do you end up doing? The horse that you're like, man, I'm mad at that person. I can't believe I'm mad at these people can't drive. Who gives out licenses? What are they doing? Uh, my relative, when are they going to get it right in their life? And uh, this coworker, blah, blah, blah. They're all about themselves. They're stepping on me, blah, blah, blah. And what we end up doing is like, we end up fretting over this thing and this thing wraps its tentacles around our heart and our life and it robs us of the peace. And God's saying, what are you so worried about? Why are you allowing other people and things and circumstances to rob you of the peace that I desire to give you? And we, I, I'm just as guilty. And then I've got to step back and say, wait a minute, am I attaching myself to the vine? Because my peace is in you, Lord. 
not in people, not in circumstances. So ask yourself this question, do I find myself frazzled by the crashing waves of turmoil in my life or am I experiencing the peace that passes all comprehension? So just ask yourself that question. Number four, number four, good old number four. This is the one I thought, I'm going to just tell you this, I thought I was the most patient person in the whole world until I had kids. Let's pray. Jesus, help me with my kids. Um, patience. How many of you say you are really patient? No, I'm just teasing because I don't want you to lie and your spouse or somebody hit you on the side of the head. Um, patience. What is patience? Because we all struggle with this, let's be honest. In other words, that describes this fruit that it can be described in this way too, like lenience or long-suffering or forbearance or perseverance or steadfastness. What it is, is it's, it's the ability to endure ill treatment from life or at the hands of others without lashing out or paying back. Patience is this, is, is when I'm attaching myself to Christ, patience is, is, is saying, you know what, God, give me the control here that, that I don't take control. See, patience is always trying to take control of somebody else. It's trying to take control of another situation. It's trying to, it's trying to control someone else so that I can have peace in my life. And God's saying, why are you doing that? Because you'll never control this situation. Who do you think you are? You think you have control over this? Well, you better think again. And so what we do is we lose our patience. And we lose our peace in God and what he's done for us. So ask yourself this question. Am, am I easily set off when things go wrong or people irritate me? Or am I able to keep a godly perspective in the face of life's irritations, right? We have this little joke around our house that especially even now my kids are older and they're teenagers, but <laughs> my kids are going to kill me for saying this, but it's 830 and they're not at this service, so we can talk. Let's talk. Let's talk about my kids. Okay. So we, <laughs> we have this thing with Lily. She's, she's my lovely 15-year-old little girl, precious, love my daughter, um, but we used to call her the irritant, the irritation, the irritant. So we would just say, Lily, stop being an irritant, right? So now I notice that my older boys call her when she's doing something other than like, you're being an irritant. Stop being an irritant, right? And so we know that it's so easy to have all these little irritants in our life, right? And it robs us of the patience that God gives us. Notice how all these things... It's not a checklist. It's a thing that says, God, you've given me these things so I can express my glory to you that I don't have to allow these things to upset my life. And how many know it's the little things? It's death by a thousand cuts that kill us, doesn't it? We allow one little thing and one little thing and another little thing to meanwhile, our life is just shipwrecked. God says, don't allow that. Attach yourself to the vine. The fifth thing, kindness. When kindness is at work in a person's life, he or she looks for ways to adapt to meet the needs of others. It's this moral goodness that overflows. It's it really it's it's the absence of malice. Kindness is this thing that says, you know what? God has shown so much kindness to me when I deserved his wrath. That when I understand what Jesus Christ did for me, when I understand that God poured out his grace and his mercy on me as a sinner, that I deserve death, that he sent his son to die in my place, to show his grace and mercy, what happens is when that is in my heart and my life, then what's going to happen is I'm going to show kindness to other people who don't deserve it otherwise. See, the question is, is my goal to serve others with kindness? Or am I too focused on my own needs, desires, or problems to let goodness, to let the goodness of God overflow to others? 
Boy, when you're able to show kindness to somebody that doesn't deserve it, it changes people's lives. It changes the way they look. It changes their, their perspective. And God says, listen, if you're going to follow me, kindness is going to follow. The sixth thing that Paul brings up is goodness. We kind of see kindness as the soft side of good. But goodness here, goodness reflects actually the character of God. The Bible says that God is good, that God is always good. No matter what I go through, how hard my difficult circumstances is, it doesn't change the goodness of God. God is always good. God is always perfect. He does things for his goodness. He does things for our good. God doesn't do things haphazardly. God is not out to hurt you, to get you. God loves you. He is good. Even though the situation may not be good, even though my circumstances may not be good, but I want to let you know this morning that God is still good. He still loves you. He still cares for you. So the question is, does my life reflect the holiness of God and do I desire to see others experience God at, at a deep level in their own lives? The seventh thing that Paul brings up is faithfulness. A faithful person is one with real integrity. A, a faithful person is someone others can look to as an example it's someone who is truly devoted to others and to Christ. Our natural self always wants to be in charge, but a spirit-controlled faithfulness is evidence in the life of a person who seeks good for others and the glory of God. See, a, a person that is faithful does something and does it continually, even when they're not going to get the glory for it. It's just being faithful at what God has called you to do. It's not saying, oh, I'm doing this because I want to get a better position. I'm doing this so other people will look at me. Lord, just make me faithful. Make me faithful at the small things in life. Just let me serve you in the small things of life because I just want to glorify you in my life. See, the question there is, you know, are there areas of hypocrisy and indifference towards others in my life? Or is my life characterized by faith in Christ and faithfulness to those around me? Am I just being faithful, faithful to read your word, faithful to pray, faithful just to be with other God's people in church, you know, just faithful to my family, faithful to my relationships, faithful at my job. I show up on time. I leave on time. I don't, I, 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 I'm faithful. I want, I want my employers to say, you know what? That worker is a faithful worker. They show up on time. They leave on time. They do their job. Well, they are faithful. What, what a great characteristic of someone in Christ that's just faithful to do what God's called them to do. Gentleness. What gentleness is, gentleness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Gentleness is not without power. It's not becoming a doormat. What gentleness does is it chooses, uh, it, it, it just chooses to defer to others, it forgives others, it corrects with kindness, and it lives in tranquility. It, it's, it's really a picture, if you want to get a word picture, it's a picture of a bridled horse. A horse has much power in it. You put a bridle in it and you're able to control it. It's strength. It's power under control. I have the right to do this, but I don't do it. I show gentleness. And that's what God, God had the right to, to just obliterate us from the face of the, of the earth, but he showed gentleness through us, through his son Jesus by dying for our sins. So the question is, do I come across to others as brash or headstrong? Or am I allowing the grace of God to flow through me and to others? And then the last one is self-control. Self-control is, this is our fleshly desires. And scriptures tell us that um, we're continually at odds with God's spirit and who wants to be in charge. Does my flesh want to be in charge or am I yielding to God's spirit? 
is God in charge. Self-control is releasing our grip on fleshly desires, choosing instead to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's power focused in the right place. And so only through the Spirit, some of you say, man, I struggle so much with self-control or maybe fits of rage or anger or temptation, and, um, and I just lose control sometimes. And God says, listen, when you have the Spirit of Christ in you, this is something that I desire to give to you so that I'm in control of your life and those situations and your heart and your sinfulness does not control you anymore. That through Christ, you can overcome and you can be victorious. See, it's only through Christ that I can do these things. It's not a checklist to see how spiritual I am. I must be completely dependent on Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is not for my self-glorification, but for the glorification of Christ in me. A life that is in tune with Christ and allowing the Word of God to be absorbed in their life will see fruit. Good things will come from your life. So my question to you today is, has life been beating you up? Have you been attaching yourself to the wrong things that aren't bringing fulfillment to you? Let me just say this. Jesus came to say, listen, let me fulfill in your life all the things that this world cannot fulfill in your life. I've created you for a reason. And even in this tough world, I want to give you joy and peace and self-control and patience because I want your life to be a light to others on how I can change you. I want to give you a testimony to show others, listen, I was that way, but now in Christ, do, I make, do we make mistakes? Yes. Do we allow the flesh to gain control at one time or another? Yes, but we can come back to the vine and we find forgiveness and healing from Christ. And he cleanses us from the waywardness of our heart and life. But listen, the only way that you can find nourishment for your soul is you've got to go to the right well. And let me just say this as we just close in, in prayer and we close in song. The reason why I believe some of you are frustrated is because we get a lot of the world and a little bit of God. Isn't it interesting when so many times we walk out of church and we just say, I'm glad I came to church today. I know I say that to myself all the time. And I got to listen to myself preach and that's not always fun, Right? But when you walk out, the reason why you're saying that is because you came to the right place. You came to the right well. You know what is after you get done praying or you read God's word, and you're like, man, that was like nourishment for my thirsty soul. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth for you, God. I don't want these cheap substitutes that only leave me feeling with a hangover the next day, that give me no satisfaction the next day. I want to run to the true well where that water will fulfill me and satisfy me forever. And so what I would tell you, for some of you here today, um, you say, Pastor, where would I start? Let me say this. You go, to the, you go to our Get Connected table and get a God's Word for today and just start there by reading God's Word every day. It's a little devotional. Or get, or get the YouVersion Bible app on your phone where it gives a scripture every day and that scripture will pop up and you can say, what's the scripture for today? And you just pop on it and you're like, okay, I'm going to read that scripture today. Start somewhere of getting God's word ingested into your life. Your prayer life, just, just come to God as a good friend and just say, God, I want you to come into my life. I give you this day. Maybe you're driving and somebody ticks you off or whatever and you're like, God, just give me, I need it right now, God, because I want to run this person over right now I need your strength, okay? And just go to God, attach yourself to the vine. And what you're going to see is, what you're going to see, it's like miracle grow, right? 
It's like fertilizer, right? At the beginning, you don't see it so much, but you fertilize it, put a little miracle grow on it. The word of God is your miracle grow. This is all coming to me right now. I didn't write this in my notes, so just follow along, okay? This is good. We could have just bypassed everything else and went right to this, okay? Um, it's like the word of God, your miracle grow. And what's going to happen is eventually you're going to see the fruit from what you're putting into it. And the reason why you're not seeing results is we're not putting anything into it. And so what you put in, you're going to get out and the Lord's going to bless it. And just like the Hebrew writer said, there's going to be a harvest of righteousness that's going to come out. So the next week you're going to be driving and you're going to be like, person cut you off. You're just going to say, you know what? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Right? And you're going to be like, wait a minute. That's not me. It's not. It's the Holy Spirit in you. You're going to go through a difficult circumstance and now you're going to have joy. You're like, wait a minute. That's not me because a year ago I would have reacted totally different. Why are you reacting that way now? Why? Because you're attaching yourself to the right place. You're going to the right well. Man, let's be those people that are of the vine and not of this world. So let me pray for you today. And my prayer for you today is you would attach yourself to the vine and you would find that joy every single day in your life. So Lord, we bow our hearts before you today. I pray for every person in this place today. Lord, God, just help us, myself included. It's so easy to turn to the flesh in my old ways, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It leaves us empty. And so God, I pray for every person here that they would start by taking these steps towards you, getting into your word and praying and just allowing themselves to be nourished, to be nourished, to be nourished by the vine. And so Lord, help us to do that today. Forgive us of our waywardness and depending on the things of this world. God, allow us to look at our daily activities completely different, our work differently. Let us see it as an opportunity to be a light to those who so desperately need to hear about Jesus. So touch every heart here today. And God, just let us attach ourselves to you, Jesus. Thank you for everything you did for us. For we ask all these things in Jesus' precious, wonderful name. Amen, 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 amen. Let's stand and let's close singing this song. Make it your prayer this morning. God bless you.